Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope that this sermon is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. And uh, Hosea chapter 6, continuing our series on speakable love, and um, I'm loving... uh, I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying the series, and I've heard from a number of folks just the help that it's been, and so I'm looking forward to getting back into it tonight. And we're going to be in Hosea chapter 6, and really just to kind of help us, and I'll try not to do too much recap, but to try to get us all on the same page, uh, the book of Hosea took place. Uh, Of course, you can understand this, that it was a time when the nation of Israel, God's people, um, if you go and you do some reading in like 1st and 2nd Kings or 1st and 2nd Chronicles, or uh, if you go even all the way back to the book of Joshua and the book of Judges, you find that the people of Israel, they kind of had this routine. The routine with the people of Israel was this. We love God and we'll follow him. We don't love God. We're not going to follow him. We love God and we'll follow him. We don't love him. And you get the idea. They just were really, they were really an up and down type of people. And continuously they would go and they would, uh, they would really they commit idolatry. They would begin worshiping the pagan gods of the lands that they were in. And uh, the children of Israel just time and time and time again would sin against God and would go against God. And if you go and you begin to do the research, it kind of was one of those things that if you and I were God, we would just probably be like, I'm done. Let's start over. But he wasn't. God, because of his love and God, because of his mercy, continually just reached out to them and continually sent prophets to them to preach the word of God. I think of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the one who would stand before them and proclaim, listen, thus saith the Lord, you are going to, you are going the wrong direction. I think of even like uh, Ezekiel or Obadiah or Jonah, or you can think of Isaiah and others that would stand up and they would say, hey, listen, children of Israel, you're going this way and God wants you to turn around and go this way. And in particular, there would be two or three prophets, that God would do this with them. He would actually say, men, now I want to give you a message, and I I don't want you to preach your message. I actually want you to live a message and then preach a message. And God brought in what we've called action messages. Um, One of them would be Ezekiel. You remember the story of Ezekiel that for uh, 300 and some odd days, he had to lay on one side of his body uh, showing judgment that would be coming. And then for 40 more days, he would lay on the other side of his body and he had to uh, do this. You think about uh, other prophets that would have to walk around certain ways to uh, proclaim the lewdness that the children of Israel were living. Well, Hosea, his life was going to be an action message. As you come to the book of Hosea, and I've been saying this, but it was a time of what we would call kind of God silence. It was a time when seemingly the voice of God wasn't really apparent. And Hosea is there, and the Bible tells us in Hosea chapter 1 that the word of the Lord came to Hosea, and Hosea perhaps would be excited. Yes, God's, God's finally speaking to us. All right, God, what do you have? And of course, if you've been in our series, we learned that the message that Hosea got was not the message Hosea was expecting. Okay, here's the man of God. God's word comes to him. He's expecting like, go preach this and the people are going to turn. And instead God says, 
I want you to go marry a prostitute. Um, I'm sorry. Did, I think I heard you wrong, Lord. What would you say? Man, Hosea had to be blown away. But I'm glad that God didn't just say, well, here's what I want you to do. God said, here's why I want you to do it. God said, I'm going to have you go marry a prostitute because I want your life to be a picture message, an action message to the children of Israel that they have been committing whoredoms. They have been committing prostitute. They've been committing idolatry, a spiritual adultery. They've been committing that against me. And so Hosea, I love, the, I love it. Hosea chapter 1 and verse number 3, he arose and went and married Gomer. Married the, uh, the uh, prostitute, one whose livelihood was in that life. Well, if you were here for the story, we know that after they got married, you can imagine Hosea thinking, okay, everything's going to straighten up. God's going to use this as the picture, and we're, it's going to be a blissful marriage, you know, and she ends up leaving him. They have one child together, Jezreel. The word Jezreel, destruction. God's saying to the children of Israel, hey, I'm going to allow destruction to come your way for your sin. But after that child, she leaves and she goes and she has affairs and multiple affairs and she has two other children by other men and, and they call the one uh, uh, Lo Ruhamah. Lo Ruhama, meaning uh, having not known a father's love, and then Lo Ami, one that's unpitied, one that's unknown completely. And God was simply saying, hey, not only am I going to allow destruction to come your way, but I'm going to allow rejection to come your way. People, and myself included, as God, I'm going to even reject you because of your sin, and I'm going to isolate you because of your sin. And there was a great illustration there of how God was saying, hey, listen, your sin has consequences. Gomer, your sin has consequences. Israel, your sin has consequences. We're going to see that defined even more for us in our passage tonight. Well, as the story would continue, Hosea, God tells Hosea, I want, you know, the, uh, uh, Gomer's prostitution got her enslaved and owned by somebody. And God sends Hosea, chapter number three, God sends Hosea to go and buy her back, showing us a wonderful picture of God's love for his people. Man, aren't you thankful? Listen, this is a great truth that every believer needs to get in their mind each and every day, that God will never love you any more or any less than he does right now. Man, his love, I love that song that uh, 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 Micah and Rebecca sang this morning that sometimes we think God's love cannot reach us, but his love is endless. His love is boundless, man. His love reaches to the depths, and aren't you thankful for that? And Hosea chapter three is the picture of it. Well, after Hosea chapter 3 and verse number 5, we leave off with Hosea and Gomer's life. And God, from Hosea chapter 4 all the way to chapter number 14, God begins to present the case against the children of Israel. Begins to say, all right, children of Israel, you've been watching Hosea's life. Now I want you to catch the message. If you go to Hosea chapter 4 and verse, um, I think it's verse number 3, 
you find, or verse number one, actually, Hosea 4.1, you find out the reason that Israel's up and down all started. It's because they forsook the word of God. And God says to him, hey, you want to be right with me? Get back in my word. And we got the application as a believer. One of the most important truths that we could ever grasp as a Christian is stay in the word of God. Man, be a believer who walks in the word of God. Hosea chapter four helps us understand that. As you move into Hosea chapter five and the first part of chapter number six, what we see from last week is that God was trying to help the children of Israel understand that if you want to avoid the consequences of sin, stay close to God. Keep yourself close to him. And remember, we got those guys up here with the dark guns last week. And Micah, little Micah, he found safety standing behind uh, Dustin as our God. I was going to try to make up a nickname for you, but it just didn't work. And there's nothing coming. It was just like beep. So I just went with your first name. We, we put Dustin up here, and his wife said he didn't re represent God very well, but I think he did okay. Listen, he stood up here, and as those darts of life came at him, man, Micah, Micah wasn't affected, was he? And the truth is that if you keep yourself close to God, man, the darts of life are going to fly at you. And someone said, man, why didn't you bring in Ephesians chapter 6 last week? You know, the fiery darts of the devil. Is that you, Craig, said that? Someone said that. Why don't you bring in the fiery darts of the devil? Man, listen, the truth is this. The the devil's going to fire darts at you in your life, but if you stay close to God, listen, if you stay close to God, there's going to be ups and downs still. There's going to be some trials still, but if you stay close to God, you're going to find safety. You're going to find peace. You're going to find joy. Well, as you and I come to Hosea in chapter number six, we're going to cover Hosea six and seven tonight. And I think as we look at Hosea chapter six and verse number seven, what we're going to discover is not only the need to stay close to God, but we're going to discover that what God does in the children of Israel tonight is he wants them to truly understand this, that often, often, you minimize the results of your decisions. But children of Israel, you need to understand this. Sin always affects your life. Sin always affects your life. And we're going to see in the passage tonight a number of things that sin does to the life of Israel and to the life of a believer. I want you to see it with me. So take your Bible and stand, Hosea chapter 6. We're just going to read two verses to start tonight in Hosea 6. And then we're going to <coughs> excuse me, pray and get into our passage. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, you read this. This is, again, the word of God speaking to Israel. He said, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. There have they dealt treacherously against me. Two verses right in the midst of these two chapters that I think are theme verses for this particular portion of the scripture and of the story. And we're going to see tonight how these, these verses and the passage applies to us and so before we do that, though, let's pray. Would you take your, uh, bow your heads and close your eyes? And why don't you just ask the Lord to, uh, to speak to your heart tonight, maybe to speak to you about the effects of sin. And then commit to the Lord that as he speaks to you, that you're going to listen to him tonight and that you'll respond to him.
Dear Lord, we thank you again for the day. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the guests we had. Thank you for the uh, uh, challenge from the scriptures today. Thank you for the encouragement of being around your people. And Lord, we thank you uh, for guests here tonight. Thank you for our uh, church family. Thank you, Lord, for just all the blessings you bring. I pray that tonight as we get into your word, that you would challenge and help us, that you would strengthen our walk with you. And then, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that does not know for certain that heaven is where they would uh, spend eternity, they don't know their sins are forgiven. God, I pray that tonight would be the night that they come to know you as their personal Savior and, and have that relationship with you start tonight. We love you. Pray that you bless our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> as we come to our passage tonight, we're, what we're going to find out is God speaking through Hosea and trying to help Israel understand the results of their decisions. Isn't it funny how we can often minimize the results of our decisions? Um, think about this. People who often talk, and I'm one of them, uh, I will talk to my wife perhaps about losing weight. I'll say, hey, you know, I want to, you know, Hannah, you eat healthy and cook healthy. I, I want to lose some weight. Can, can you help me with that? And she'll say, well, yeah. It comes back to your small decisions. I'll say, okay, small decisions. Well, this morning... I made a small decision to eat one of the donut holes out there. And then this afternoon, I made a small decision to eat pizza for lunch. And tonight, I'll probably make a small decision to eat ice cream because it's in the freezer. <laughs> and what I'll do, and, and be honest, you might do it as well, that we just say, oh, well, it's just one donut. Oh, it's just one scoop of ice cream. Oh, it's just one soda. And we begin, listen, we begin to minimize the results of one decision because one donut usually turns into four or five donuts or, you know, seven donuts throughout the week, whatever the case might be. But all those decisions compact together and they create a result that we never anticipate, don't they? Now, some of you aren't liking the weight loss one right there. You know, you're like, pastor, cut it out. Okay, how about this? How about the decision to be in speaking to your spouse and, and you make a decision to say one little sentence. One little sentence. And that one little sentence might be this. Well, that's not my fault. <laughs> well, no, I didn't do that. Well, wait, you? And, and then you think, hey, I shouldn't have said that. It's all right. It... They know I didn't mean it. And don't we make statements? We make statements in relationships that we often minimize the result that could come because of that decision. And think about all the areas of life that we do that in. Uh, I think about uh, maybe uh, kids and going to school. At school, oftentimes, you maybe get assignments given to you, and you think, well, it's just one report. You know, I... I'm not going to do this book report, Blake. You're shaking your head. You've done it, haven't you? Yeah. Well, you know, it's just one report. It's okay. And pretty soon you get to the end of the quarter or the semester and your teacher's like, hey, you need to do like 75 extra credit assignments or you're going to fail. Ah, I wish I would have, right? What, what are we doing? We're minimizing the result of small decisions. Here's what Israel was doing all throughout their history. They were saying, well, 
It's just an allegiance with the, allegiance with the Gibeonites. It's just one decision. It's okay. Well, it's just bowing down to, the, uh, to Baal for, for this small thing. Well, it's just one molten calf. It, it'll be okay. Well, it's just one, it's just one lie. Well, it's just, and they begin, Israel began to minimize the results of the decisions that they were making. Well, as we come into Hosea chapter six, what God is trying to do is he's trying to help them understand, hey, listen, your small, your quote unquote small decisions to sin, they always bring lasting results because sin affects your life. You see, sin has da- had damaged the life of Israel, and the fact of the matter is that sin damages your life as well. And so tonight, I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to notice with me how God describes the damages that sin causes. I want you to see, first of all, that God helps Israel and us understand that sin, it defiles. Sin defiles. Take your Bible and look at Hosea chapter 6 and verse number 7, <coughs> beginning in verse number 7. God says this, but they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. There have they dealt treacherously against me. Gilead is a city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood. And as troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent, for they commit lewdness. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There There is the whoredom of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Also, O Judah, he hath set an harvest for thee when I returned the captivity of my people. Now, just a casual reading of this would cause us to go like this. Huh? What? What is he saying here? But I want you to look at one uh, phrase that you see at the end of verse number 10. At the end of verse number 10, you see this phrase, Israel is defiled. Israel is defiled. We've already seen this a little bit in a few messages back. We saw it and understood it. But what God is trying to help Israel see through Hosea is he's trying to remind them of this fact that for Israel, sin had come into every facet of society. From the lowest of society to the king to the priests, Israel was defiled with sin. The word defile, it means to be unclean or to make impure. Hosea is saying this, sin has caused God's people, even the priests, the religious leaders. Verse number nine, he says, it's like I'm looking and I see a a group of men as robbers waiting to ambush somebody and waiting to attack somebody. But as I look closer, I realize it's the religious leaders and they're waiting to murder and they're waiting to commit whoredom and they're waiting to sin. And what God is saying is simply this. Hey, listen, you think your sin only affects you, but what you need to understand is sin defiles everybody. Sin causes the entire nation to be looked at as impure or impure, impure or as unclean. And God is trying to help them see and understand that sin has defiled you. Not one group is innocent. You see, it's interesting to me when he says in verse 9 that the religious leaders were in wait. You think that the religious leaders would be the one that are saying, hey, Israel, hey, 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 we need to turn back to God. 
But like Eli's son, Hoph, sons, Hophni and Phinehas, the religious leaders, they were partaking in the sin. They were the ones leading in the sin. They were the ones committing lewdness and whoredoms in, inside, of the house of, inside of the temple, inside of the house of God. And God is trying to bring this to their light, saying, hey, you think that sin is only your sin, but you need to understand that it's affecting everybody. <clears throat> I love how one man said this. He said, Hosea saw every form of exposure and indecency being paraded without blush or shame. Over much of what he saw, he wrote one word, the word lewdness. That's what, that's what he uses to describe this, saying, hey, it is just, I see lewdness. You commit lewdness. Listen, this is just profane. Be, but you need to see this, that sin, it defiles. Can I tell you that the same is true in our society? Sin affects every level. But even more than that, the same is true in our personal life. That sin affects every aspect of my life. It defiles my life. It causes me to be unclean. It causes my life to be impure before a clean and a holy God. I think about Isaiah 59 in verse number two. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your, sin has, have, have hid, your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter four. Galatians 4, verse 30 through chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul said this, Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Here's what, here's what Paul was saying there, going back to uh, um, uh, Abraham and uh, Ishmael, uh, Hagar. Going back to Hagar, and he's saying, hey, listen, just as Abraham needed to cast out Hagar and Ishmael, and as a picture of us casting out the flesh, he's saying, you as a Christian, once you get saved, don't put yourself back into the bondage of sin. Why? Because sin causes you to be impure. Sin causes you to be defiled. Sin defiles. Notice, secondly, God wants them to know that sin, it also distracts. Sin distracts you from the things you should be focused upon. Look at uh, chapter 7 and verse 1. God says this, when I, would have healed, or when I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered and the wickedness of Samaria, for they commit falsehood and the thief cometh in and the troop of robbers spoileth without and they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. They make the king glad with their wickedness and the princes with their lies. Notice, if you will, verse number two, where it says this, they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. God is saying this, while Israel was sinning, they are not taking into, the, into uh, uh, recollection that I see it and I know it. Their sin has caused them to be distracted from knowing that I am God and that I see it. He says, hey, there, look at verse number three. He says, they're kings and they're princes. They're finding joy in it. He was like, hey, uh, they, they're finding joy in sin. Their sin is distracting them from the truth that Really, it's hurting them. 
Their sin has completely taken their focus off of me and set it onto their circumstances, thinking they're finding joy in their sin. And you say, well, pastor, where is that in the story of Hosea and Gomer? If you went to Hosea chapter 2 and verse number 5, here's what you read. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Gomer had this mindset. Hosea, I know I'm married to you, but you don't care because I'm finding joy. I'm finding all I... I'm finding fulfillment in these illicit relationships. I'm finding fulfillment in my sinful life. And you would go, and, and again, I'm not going to re-preach the message or the thought. You would go to Hosea chapter number 2, and Hosea says to Gomer, what are you talking about? I'm providing that. I'm, pro- I, I, I'm the one who's providing the wool and the flat. I'm the, it's my, I'm the one who's providing the oil. You think you're finding fulfillment in your sin, but really, I'm the one who's in control of all of this. And the, the thought then is this, that you and, I as a, you and I as a believer, oftentimes we try to find fulfillment apart from God. But the fact of the matter is, there is no real joy or real peace apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no real fulfillment in life apart from Jesus. Oh, there may be good moments and there may be good times, but that void that's in each of us, that is not going to be filled by trying to put anything else in. It's only filled through Jesus. I use the illustration often that I stole from Micah. We were here in a... a uh, outreach and Micah was talking about how when he was a teenager, I'm gonna mess it up, but it's okay. How when he was a teenager, he went to a, a, a donut making factory. And as he was there, they had the, the uh, uh, donut dough that was there and they were, there was a machine punching holes. And so it was making the donut holes and the normal donuts. And uh, the person who was giving them the tour said to them something along the lines, you know, what's interesting is as every hole that's being punched is always going to be different. And there is, there is a perfect donut hole to fill every donut. There's a perfect donut hole to fill every donut. You can try to sit and find it and make it work, but there's going to be one that fits perfectly. And he brought out this thought. Every single one of us, we have a Jesus-filled hole in our life. And only Jesus is going to fill it. Only Jesus is going to fit perfectly. And here's what God is trying to get through to the children of Israel through Hosea. He's trying to help them understand your sin has distracted you from that. Your sin has caused you. Look at verse 2 again. Your sin has caused you to not consider all of your wickedness. Your sin has caused you to think that you are not seen before me. And your sin is distracting you from, from the truth that I see all and that I fulfill all. You know what? Sin distracts us from the truth and blinds us from the fact that God sees and that God is the only place to find much fulfillment. When I see, our, our, uh, um, when we allow sin to stay in our life, oftentimes we neglect to understand that God sees. I think about Psalm 139 through 7 through 14. <coughs> I won't read the passage for, <coughs> excuse me, time's sake. But the psalmist basically says this, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? 
and continues in going through this whole passage of, hey, if I go here, you see me. 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 And the fact of the matter is God sees all, doesn't he? And so when we have sin that we're trying to hide, we can understand that our righteous God, he sees it. We're not fooling anyone. Man, sin, it, defla- it defiles sin. It distracts. I want you to see also sin destroys Chapter 7, verse 4 through 9. It says, They are all adulterers, as an, heated of, as, an, as an oven heated by the baker, who ceaseth from raising after he hath kneaded the dough until it be leavened. In the day of our king, the princes have made him sick with bottles of wine. He stretched out his hand with, with the scorners, for they have made ready their heart like an oven. Whilst they lie in wait, their baker sleepeth all the night. In the morning it burneth as a flaming fire. They are all hot as an oven, and they have devoured their judges. All their kings are fallen. There is none among them that calleth unto me. Look at verse 8. Ephraim hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are here. And they're, and they're upon him, yet he knoweth it not. In this portion, God pictures a, a bake shop, a baker, and an oven. The thought is this, that the sins of the people has destroyed their life. And here's what he's picturing. <clears throat> Our ovens now, they work in such a way that once you put something in, it will cook all of it. You don't have to move it. You don't have to rotate things too much in our ovens. Now, there's some things you have to rotate and turn, but back in their day, you had to be, you had to be paying attention to the bread that you put in the oven, and you had to be turning it and rotating it and flipping it because it wasn't going to cook all on one side. It was going to cook on the bottom and probably not on the sides or the top. You had to turn it around and rotate it. And so here's what God is saying. Hey, listen, because of their sin, Israel is like dough that is set inside of an oven and then left to itself. Well, what happens if you put a bread inside of an oven and just leave it for a long time? It's going to burn. Well, here's what's going to take place. Depending upon how long you leave it, either A, it will burn all the way through, or B, you'll have a burned part and an uncooked part. But here's what God is saying through Hosea. He's saying, the bread, the dough, if it's burned or uncooked, it's useless. It's ineffective. It's not fulfilling what it was made for. It's not, it's not there. It's not, it's not used for anything. It's just going to be tossed out. And here's what he's trying to get. Hey, Israel, your sin, it's destroying your life. Verse 9 Gray hair is showing up, and you don't even, hey, your life, your life is flashing before your eye. It is departing before your eyes. You are missing your, effect, your opportunity to be effective. Your sin is literally destroying the purpose that I have for you. Wow. Man, that's powerful. You think about this, I mean, uh, throughout Israel's history, There were times when Israel was effective, but over its history, Israel was many times ineffective and known as having a bad reputation. Why? Because of sin. 
I think about the story of Samson, Judges chapter 16 and verse 23. You read this, Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And Samson, because of sin, caused a bad reputation and destroyed. You think about this. We look to Samson, and and I understand uh, his faith, and Samson was a, a judge that did some great things for God. But I wonder what did God have in store for Samson had Samson not become distracted by the sins of the flesh? I wonder what deliverance was God envisioning when he said uh, to Manoah, he said to Samson's mom and dad, you're going to have a child that is going to free my people. I wonder, I wonder what did God have in mind? I don't think it was Samson uh, being with a woman after woman after woman and ending up being captured by the Philistines. I don't think that's what God had planned. Now, God used decisions to bring things to pass and still deliver Israel for a short time, but I wonder what could, have God, what could God have done had, it, had, had Samson not allowed his heart to be directed away from God towards sin. And here's what God is saying in our passage about the dough. He's saying, listen, if you continue in sin, children of Israel, you're going to find this, that sin literally destroys your effectiveness. It destroys any chance that you have of really being used of me. The same is true in our life, that sin destroys our effectiveness. Sin destroys our influence. Sin destroys our testimony. And ultimately, sin destroys a life. I found this quote describing this this, uh, few verses, and I thought it very helpful. What can be done with a cake not turned? It can only be tossed away. It is too late for the baker to do anything to make the cake edible. Likewise, when we are wiser and older, we cannot go back and undo the wrongful things we did in our youth. The opportunities we neglect disappear forever. Lives that, because of our carelessness, have been soiled or spoiled can never be reclaimed by any repentance on our part. Boy, we're understanding this, aren't you? The, the, the older we get, the less we can change over the past and over our future. Isn't that true? And that's what he's saying in verse number nine. Hey, gray hairs are here and they're upon him, but they knoweth it not. They, they're not even paying attention to it. Hey, Israel, your sin, your sin, it's destroying your effectiveness and it's destroying your life. Man, I, I think this evening that God's looking at Israel trying to get their attention to understand the, don't minimize the results of your decisions. Don't minimize the results of your sin. No, sin defiles, it distracts, it destroys. But then notice also that sin divides. Sin divides. Notice verse number, six, verse number 10. Uh, we could read all the way through the passage, but we'll just read verse 10 for time's sake. You read this, Hosea seven ten. The pride of Israel testifieth to his face, and they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. Here's what God is saying, and you can go and read verse 11 through 16. It just reiterates the te- what you find in verse number, 11, verse number 10. God is saying this in these verses, that sin, it divides or hurts Israel's relationship with God. 
You see, their sin had caused them to stop seeking God, and their sin had caused them to create alliances that God had never wanted them to have. If you go to verse number 11, it says, Ephraim is also like a silly dove without heart. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. And uh, verse number 13, it says, Woe unto them, for they have fled from me. Man, they have left me. They have fled from me. Why? Because of their sin. You think about the Israelites and the times that they fled God. I think about the book of Joshua. We have multiple stories where sin hurt everybody and divided the people from God. I think about the sin of Achan, right? Remember the city of Jericho and Achan was not supposed to take of uh, the treasures and yet he did. And then they go into Ai, a community of 3,000 and God allows Ai to conquer them and kill 30 men and they run. And, and uh, Joshua, he comes in uh, Joshua chapter number seven. Oh God, what did we, why are you forsaking us? And God says, Joshua, get up, get up. There's sin in the camp. This isn't me, this is you. You have, you have sinned and your sin has caused me to remove my hand of blessing from you. And in Hosea, this is what God is saying. He's saying, hey, this, listen. Your sin, it literally, it hurts your relationship with God. You can go to the New Testament and discover that our sin, it causes a break in our fellowship with the Lord. I think about 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6 through chapter 2 and verse number 1, it says this, If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk or continue in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Here's what that passage is saying. Hey, when you as a believer sin, you hinder the fellowship with God. Now, I've mentioned this before, and I, I, I guess I'm redundant on some illustrations, but I, I think you'd, you can't do much better than some of these that on the illustration-wise, and I stole this one from my dad, and so I'll use it. <clears throat> but my dad, uh, we have this relationship. He's the father, and I'm the son. Now, here's the simple truth. Nothing will ever change that. Nothing. I'm always going to be the son of Dennis E. Fountain. You know what the E stands for? I'll tell you later. <laughs> Ebenezer, just kidding. Close. Uh, I'm, I'm always going to be the son of Dennis Fountain. Always going to be the son of Dennis Fountain. Now, right now we have a good relationship. I can pick up the phone and call him. He may or may not answer, but I could call him. I could text my dad. Uh, I can walk to my dad many times as I do and walk up. I can give my dad a hug. I was telling my son the other day that, man, this is, this, this is just me. One of, the, one of the most secure places still to this day, one of the most secure places that when, when I'm going through struggles or just things in my life, one of the most secure places is when I give my dad a hug. Like I, it, I just feel like pressure's lifted, and, and man, it's just how it's always been. You know what? That's a great, we have a, and, and I'm not bragging about this, but I love it. We have a great relationship. Now, if I chose, and I'm not going to do this just so you know, 
But if I chose to go rob a store, and I go and I hold up a store, I need a little bit extra cash, you know, and so I'm, I go and I get Micah, and he's my accomplice. It was his idea. And I go and we rob, we rob this store. Well, I get arrested, and I go to jail, and I go to before a judge, and he sentenced me to three years in jail for robbing the store. Question, am I still the son of Dennis Fountain? Yes. But am I able to hug my dad whenever I want? Am I able to text him whenever I want? Am I able to just give him a phone call whenever I want? Am I able to just pack up and go see him whenever I want? No. Why? Because of my decision, I have jailed myself and hindered the fellowship. The relationship is still there. I am always his child, but the fellowship is going to be broken. This is what God is getting at in the book of Hosea. He's saying, hey, you know what you've done? Israel, you're still my people. Israel, I still know that you are mine and that I've chosen you. That has not changed, but your sin has broken the fellowship. Your sin has caused it that now, uh, man, we're, we're our relationships almost unrecognizable. Even though the relationship is still there, there is no fellowship. And the fact of the matter is this, that sin, it divides my fellowship. It hinders, it hurts my fellowship with God. Though my relationship is never broken, the fellowship is not the same. Think about this, Psalm 66 and verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord, he will not hear me. Man, listen to the warning that God gave Israel in our passage in Hosea, Hosea 7, 13. Woe unto them, for they have fled from me, destruction unto them, because they have transgressed against me, though I have redeemed them. He said, hey, though they still belong to me, yet they have spoken lies against me. The fellowship is not there. Why? Because sin always puts a wedge in your relationship with God. Although you're still his child, the fellowship is not the same. You know what? Sin has results that we often don't realize, doesn't it? Sin defiles, causes to me to be impure. Sin, it distracts, it turns my attention away from God. Sin, it destroys, it literally takes away my effectiveness and my influence the way that God wants to use me. And sin, it divides or hinders or hurts my relationship with my heavenly father. But I want us to close tonight by going back to chapter number six. And I want us to see the Savior's desire. We've seen the effects of sin, but I want you to notice the Savior's desire in Hosea chapter six and verse number four. It says this, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. Therefore I have hewed them by the prophets. I have slain them with the words of my mouth, and thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Look at verse 6 again. I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. If you'll remember with me uh, to our words last week, we heard this, that the children of Israel, here's what they would do. Hosea chapter 4, um, verse number 6, they would do this. They would sin, right? They would sin, go down the way of sin, and they'd say, it's okay, 
we'll just do sacrifices. You know, it's okay, we'll just do something to make ourselves right with God. And God said to them, no, you're, you're a miss. Listen, you're in error because just because you, just because you sacrifice some animals, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in sacrifice. No, I'm interested in you repenting. I'm interested in you giving me your heart. See, what he's getting at, in, even in Hosea uh, 4, and then also here in Hosea chapter number 6, is he's getting at this. Israel, you think that I'm about, <laughs> don't miss this. Israel, you think I'm about do's and don'ts. That's verse 6. You think I'm about sacrifice. But listen, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I deny the law, I deny, I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You know what he's saying to him? He's saying, hey, you think in life that you can do these bad things, but then if you just do enough right things, you'll be okay. That was Israel's mindset. If we do bad things, hope we could do enough, we could set the scale, we could flip the scale a little bit, so to speak. And here's what God's saying to him. Listen. I don't want that. I don't want sacrifices. I want to be in your thoughts and I want to be in your heart. I want to just give you mercy. I want you just to think upon me. I want you just to love me. I just, this is the whole book of Hosea, I just want a relationship with you. You're my people. Quit thinking that do's and don'ts will fulfill you. Quit thinking that you can sin and get right and sin and get right. No, just give me your heart. Man, just give me your heart. It's interesting. Listen, the Word of God is completely peppered with this truth. God is not about what you do and don't do. God is about you giving him your heart. That's, it's all throughout the word of God. But religion really messes things up. Because religion says do this, don't do this, be this, don't be this, be here, don't be here, go there, don't go there. Religion says here's a bunch of rules and regulations, follow this. And God says, stop, just follow me. Stop, throw that out the window. Don't try to do things to be right with me. No, instead, instead, just follow me from the heart. Man, I, I think tonight that we need to understand that God is helping them see, I just want to be in your minds and in your heart. I want you to give me your heart. Don't give it to sin. Believer, the fact of the matter is this, that sin has deep and lasting results. And God's desire is that we would not sin and just, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, God, and sin, and then, well, I just, I'll do these things to try to be right. God is interested in this. Give me your heart, and I'll help you not sin. Don't try to not sin on your own. Give me your heart. Let follow me, and I'll help you not sin. Why? Because sin's results, they're devastating. Man, sin's results, they literally destroy lives. Well, how can it destroy my life? Well, it causes you to be unright before God. 
It distracts you from the fulfillment you find in God. It destroys the influence you should have for God. And it divides the fellowship that you have with God. So what should I do, Lord? Well, just determine to have a heart that's devoted to Christ and not to sin. God, I want to give you my heart, not my desires of the flesh. God, I want to follow you and not, I, I want to look at the lasting results of my decisions. I don't want to minimize sin. I don't want to minimize the results of sin. No, instead, I want to maximize the results of following you. I want to understand that, God, you truly are interested in my heart. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed tonight, and I just want to ask you a couple of questions. As we look at this story of Hosea, and again, as God just helps them see, I'm interested in the heart. I want, I want to ask you two questions tonight. The first one is, does God have your heart through the decision of salvation? By that I mean this. Do you know for sure if you died today that you'd go to heaven? Are you 100% sure that Jesus is in your life? I'm not asking if you've been baptized, if you go to church, or if you think you're a good person. I'm asking you tonight, do you know for certain that Jesus Christ is in your life, that heaven is where you'll spend eternity. If that's you tonight, you'd say, Pastor, I know that. I know I'm going to heaven. I know I've asked Jesus into my life. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? No one's looking around. Just right up, right back down. Thank you. Put them down. If you do know Christ is your Savior, I want to ask you, does he have your heart? Does he have your heart, or has sin been creeping in and distracting you from that relationship? Maybe tonight, you couldn't raise your hand to that question. You don't know for sure that heaven is where you'd spend eternity. I want to ask you this. If you're here and you'd be honest, no one's looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me tonight because I do not know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. Pastor, I don't know that. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? I'm not going to embarrass you or call you by name. I'd like to pray for you. Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. Just right up and right back down. Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't know that. If that's you tonight, you don't know for certain that you're going to heaven, we're going to have, in just a moment, a time where we can stand to our feet and we're going to have what's called an invitation. And we invite people, anybody, to respond and come to the front and spend time praying. But if you're here and you don't know for sure that heaven is where you'd spend eternity, I'm going to be right here in front and during our invitation, I invite you to come. Someone will take a Bible. We'll take you into a private counseling room and show you from the word of God how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Believer, if you do know Christ as your Savior, would you make the decision tonight that, man, I'm not going to let sin distract me. I'm not going to let sin divide my relationship. No, I'm going to maximize the results of following Jesus and drawing close to him every day. Lord, I pray that you'd bless our time of invitation. Help us to respond to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.